Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 179. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Happy to be joined again by Mr. Lachlan Giles. How are you doing, Lachlan? I'm doing great. Thank you. I am glad to hear. Now, you know, I am a very, very serious investigative reporter, so I got to ask the tough questions. How's little Walter doing? What's dad life looking like? He's doing really good, actually. He pretty much, so this is, it's 8 a.m., right now in in melbourne and i expected walt to be my alarm but he pretty much pretty much woke up at about quarter to eight so which is when my alarm was set wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> i put my alarm on and i'm just hoping that that the alarm wakes me up instead of walt but um <laughs> how old is he now he's got to be like eight months yeah he's eight months now yeah wow Man, amazing. I see you've already given him a black belt. I mean, I'm not going to get into the, you know, the rights and wrongs about early promotions, but really he must be pretty good if he's already a black belt at eight months. Yeah, he's very good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's Barambolo's. <laughs> awesome. Well, something that we were discussing that we thought might make an awesome topic of conversation is the idea of the reverse classroom model or the flipped classroom model, something that has become a little bit more prominent in the jiu-jitsu space, but there's still not that many people doing it. We had Bruce Hoyer on the podcast a while ago uh, to talk about it because he does it uh, at his gym, or at least he used to. But I know that you've been talking about this model quite extensively on social, and I kind of am getting the feeling that you might be doing this at a scale bigger than most gyms. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I mean, maybe we can start off by just explaining to the listeners, what is the reverse classroom model and why did you choose it over a more traditional way of teaching? Yeah, the, well, actually, I'm probably like a half-half, to be honest, but um, I'll, I'll get into it. But um, so the flip flip classroom model is essentially that you you do your learning at home or like outside of the actual gym or if it was in an education scenario, you would do your study at home and you would come into to the classroom to more apply it and get feedback. And from a jiu-jitsu point of view, that would be that you can have something that you've pre-studied. And then the idea being that when you come into class that you've got more time to you already know what you want to work from a technical point of view. You can kind of get straight into that and it's a thing that you're focusing on and it allows you to practice that and potentially get more use out of your training that way. So that's kind of a very broad overview of it. But my model's a little bit half-half in terms of it's kind of half doing the traditional one and half um, the, the flip classroom model. So, 
Yeah, I'd love to dig into exactly what you mean by that. But I guess first, maybe we can draw a parallel for listeners. I mean, if you think about the way that the majority of jujitsu classrooms are structured, you walk in and you basically let the instructor own the entire conversation about what's taught that day. So most gyms you go into, the instructor has pre-selected, I don't know, three techniques of the day. They choose what to drill. Everyone just follows the instructor's instruction. Then usually there's some rolling time at the end. And so you don't get a lot of agency as the student in terms of what material is covered. And that model is not bad necessarily. There's certainly a time and a place for it. But a common complaint or issue that I hear a lot from people who are more further along in their journey is that they want to start taking ownership of their game plan, of actively investing in skill acquisition and development, and they want to be able to target what it is that they're going to work on. So that's where the reverse classroom comes into play. The idea is basically that you BYOB, basically. It is the goal of the students here to know in advance what they want to study. They bring that material to class, and then the purpose of the class is to basically facilitate that process of skill development. But it's not necessarily the instructor in a reverse classroom model who is choosing the material that gets covered. So that is, that's my understanding of how that applies at a jujitsu school, but does that sound kind of in line with your understanding as well? Yeah, some things that are a little bit different because I guess like the way I've set it up, at least in terms of, sorry, in terms of how I am applying it, I guess, in terms of I probably still have a bit of a fair bit more agency over what people are practicing to a certain extent. I do let people kind of work whatever they want, but I also actually, I've made and give them particular material that I think will be suitable for them at that period of their of their journey through jiu-jitsu as opposed to as opposed to saying like you know work on whatever you want sort of thing right. which is actually I sometimes say that as well but yeah I guess if we, if we probably touch on that first is like what you plan to teach in class you know like I still have a curriculum maybe I'll go over I'll go through how I'm doing it so I still have a curriculum that I'm running through because at least from my experience doing this I still found that a lot of people aren't as aren't doing all the work at home yet and they will just come in without really a, a plan on what they want to do so i need i feel like i by having a curriculum i can make sure I, I cover that and it also just lets me i think people need a even though you want to like give people and a kind of individualized plan you also it's also useful for them to get a general idea of you know when you're teaching different things throughout your curriculum they do get a idea of the general scope of jiu-jitsu and sometimes that can be useful too if you compare, I suppose like one thing, you mentioned Bruce, who's doing the, the flip classroom model. He's gone like 100%. So, his is 100% all the studies at, at home. They come in and they, they work that, which obviously he's gone all in on and which is really good. Uh, so, it's interesting to see how's, how he's um, applying it. But for me, it's I'll basically assign people a particular topic. So, I've to do this, I've had to film a very large amount of content. Like it's been... <laughs> has been a better part of three years and, you know, filming just about just about every day and editing just about every day. So, as you can imagine, I'm trying to cover a very broad scope of jiu-jitsu to be able to deliver people yeah. individualized programs. So, this is one of the challenges of Reverse Classroom is to a lot of people, it sounds great in theory that you get to take custody of your own game plan and custody of your skill development. But the challenge is, like you said, 
This results in significant overhead for the instructor, which is probably one of the main reasons why a lot of gyms don't do this, because it is very hard. And I see this on our own premium service. It, you know, it was never really intended to be a reverse classroom thing, but just by definition and by virtue of the fact that we're providing individualized coaching, we get kind of the similar thing where you might have hundreds of people who all have their own wants and needs and desires and ideas of what their jujitsu game should look like. And as the instructor, you now have to kind of individually tailor your instruction to each of them, which is a lot harder than the more traditional way of teaching where you just come in and say, okay, guys, we're doing omoplatas today <laughs> and everyone does the same thing. So I think probably the effort required by the instructor is one of the main reasons why most people don't do this. But yeah, like you said, it sounds like it's been the result of a lot of investment on the part of you and live to get that done yeah uh, and there's a the website was built from from scratch and there was a, got a designer as well so yeah there's a there's a few of us putting in a lot of work on this so yeah so it's, it would be very i don't know if i'd recommend everyone trying to do their own in this particular way might not always for everyone like a, the amount of time taken for the coach to do it that way i think is perhaps too high for you for everyone to do, but you could, you know, there's resources online as well. People can use if they, if they want to take this approach for, for running their class, you know, you can give people links to particular topics or, and so on. If you feel like that's, that's a topic that they'll, that will benefit them. But as you said, really the, one of the major reasons for me wanting to do this, I actually, we had like a standard syllabus that I implement and you know what I found, and this is a topic that, <laughs> People will find interesting, but for stripes on the belt, I would test people up to second stripe on blue belt. This is how I had it before. So for your first stripe on your white belt, there was like a few things I just wanted to see that, like, just show me that, you know, these particular moves. That's, that's not the only require, like, that's, that's just like a thing that you have to know as well as, you know, being at the level, you know? So if the first thing would be that they have to be up to the standard that I want, and then I sort of go, okay, but you might be winning roles against, let's say you're going for your, third stripe on your white belt you might even be beating blue belts but i still want to see that you know like how to you know do a toriando pass or something like i, I might have a, a set oh, i had a, had a set sort of thing that i wanted people to see and i kind of i had that but in my in my mind i was like okay i just want to make sure people have a general understanding and i would stop that that syllabus at second stripe on blue belt when i at some point everyone gets their own game so what's the point of like having a set a set thing to assess people on if they've all got their own particular style. So I kind of knowing that everyone has their own game. Like you look at a, your average, you know, purple belt, they might play, someone might play like spider guard and like the gi and another one might play butterfly and deep half guard. And, and the person who's really good at spider guard might not have to know anything about deep half guard really to, to be a good grappler. And so as we progress, we tend to specialize a lot. And I was like, well, how do I, you know, I, I found the actual, like, getting people to run through a, a syllabus and, and actually test them on it to be a really useful process. Like, I would see people come in and actually put some effort and time, and they would always at the end go, like, oh, actually, like, by studying that, I feel like I got a lot better. There's actually a lot of good research to support the idea that, that testing people, and whether that's in academia or whatever, but, like, getting people to kind of actively work on being good at something so that they can they can show you that present that to you is really beneficial for their learning and I was like well this could be a way I could kind of expand the the syllabus a bit and have people working their their own game if I could film such a uh, essentially try to get all of jiu-jitsu in my mind like all of the way I see jiu-jitsu out in 
on film and the different pathways people can take and so on. And yeah, so. So you brought up a really interesting point there, which is that you can be effective at jujitsu without knowing everything there is to know about jujitsu. And this is a misconception I had about jujitsu when I was starting out, which was that, man, if you're a black belt, that must mean you know everything. You know, I, I assumed that if you were a black belt, you were this font of knowledge that knew every aspect of jujitsu. And that was the bar that you had to clear. But what I, I know now, I mean, yes, of course, when you're a, a black belt, just by virtue of the amount of time you've spent researching and practicing, you're going to have at least a passing awareness of pretty much all of the aspects of jujitsu, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be good at everything. You just need to be good at your thing. And a big part of jujitsu is to funnel people back into your game, to the stuff that you are good at. And as long as you can steer out of the danger zones, out of your weak areas, then you're okay. And you can actually be very successful without knowing everything there is to know about jujitsu. And that bit about hyper-specialization that you brought up is, I think, a, a very strong argument for the reverse classroom model because up to a certain point like you said jujitsu stops being a cookie cutter thing and it kind of becomes more about individual expression and preference and your own individual goals and i think at a base level when you're dealing with white belts or even blue belts there's a strong argument to be made that okay there's a base level of foundational knowledge that everyone should have before they start getting ultra creative but then once you start getting more senior, you would expect people to want start defining their own path. And I, I kind of think of that similar to what like a university model would look like, where there are fundamental 101 courses and a lot of people take general studies classes. But of course, the further you go along, eventually you start hyper specializing and even researching and innovating on your own. So I think that that's an interesting argument to be made in favor of this model for jujitsu. Yeah, that's essentially how I've done it. So the net right now, I, I kind of redid the whole syllabus thing. We're up to the third stripe on white belt. So, you know, at least at our gym, that's usually like a year, year and a half of training. There's a set foundations that we essentially want people to learn, which is kind of like bought in our fundamentals classes as well. And so they don't like at that stage, or at least up to second stripe on white belt at our gym, they like you'll come in and there's a set theme. It's, it's not the flipped classroom model as in like you're working something from what's on your, um, and that foundations kind of level. But after in our kind of intermediate and advanced class classes, that's where I'm applying the, the flipped classroom. Yeah. So is that what you mean when you say that you're going with a hybrid, which, because I was wondering when you say you're going with a hybrid, the question then becomes, okay, what's, what's the hybrid part? What's the demarcation line? And it sounds like you're kind of doing that based on level of experience of the students. Yeah, there's that, but also the, even the, even the intermediate and advanced classes. So if you, I think you, you said you were speaking to Bruce and he's a hundred percent on the flipped classroom model. Mine's, I'll still show, like I have a curriculum that I'll show a technique from or a, a system or whatever I'm teaching. Like I'll, I'll kind of have a curriculum I'm, I'm running through, but the student can like like so at the start of class I'll I'll show something that's that's how it works and then the student though can work on that or they can work on their thing that they've been allocated or something that they they've been working on as well okay so just they can kind of work whatever they want in a level in the intermediate or advanced classes if you're if you're coming into them you can kind of train whatever you want so that would be for for drills for situational training when it comes to those parts which is obviously probably the majority of the class you're getting to work what you want i guess the the downside to the way I'm doing it there is there's a little, like if you go full flipped classroom model, you've got more time for the student. Like they've actually, 
they don't have to sit there and listen to me showing something that might not be as relevant for them. But my experience with it is that a lot of people do still come into class and they're not, you know, they they want to work on whatever you're showing or they, they you know, they want to, you can have a visitor coming in, which is reasonably common. We're in St Kilda in Melbourne, which is, it's pretty common for drop-ins or people from other gyms to come in and they might not be familiar with that model and won't know what to do in a <laughs> flipped classroom model <laughs> class. So having like a curriculum in place as well and showing a technique and at the start, I find just gives it still a bit of structure from from my perspective anyway. So That makes a lot of sense because there is a degree of, you know, cultural norm and expectation when you go into a class and maybe one day this will change, but most people will come into a class expecting the instructor to basically steer the entire conversation. And rightly or wrongly, that is kind of the expectation. And the thing about reverse classroom is it expects the student to take a significant amount of ownership on their own jujitsu game and their own development. And that's something that you cannot really spring on a person. You can't have a, a guest from out of town drop in and just say, hey, surprise, we're doing reverse classroom. What homework did you bring? You know, if people didn't know that that's what they were getting into, then they're not going to be ready for an environment like that. So I think a hybrid approach is a good compromise because then people who do come in and either they're too early on their journey to be ready for that, or maybe they simply aren't aware or just aren't interested in, you know, taking that kind of approach, they still have something for them. They still have a bridge to get them to where you need to go. So I think a hybrid is a, an interesting model for this. Yeah. And I think, look, it, the other part is like some people, you know, obviously I'm a competitor and I'm all in on jujitsu, right? So they could, it's easy for me to say, oh, you know, you should have something you're studying. But at this, on the other end, there's people who work, you know, they, they do jujitsu to just like something to keep their mind off the problems of life and they don't want to, <laughs> they don't want to have to go home and like, study it and and do all that work which is you know probably the your listeners probably less likely to be those people because they're sitting there they're actually like doing extracurricular work i guess but for your average person that trains that they, they probably just want to a lot of them will will just want to come in be shown something get a bit of exercise and get it get their mind off everything else in life so i think it's important that, in my opinion that we that we cater to that i agree completely i think it's a common mistake that instructors, especially highly competitive instructors, kind of paint all of their students with the same brush. Whereas in reality, you know, we know that martial arts tend to be dominated by hobbyists. So if you're only catering your programs to the 10% of people in your gym who really want to go all in on this, then you're potentially alienating the vast majority of your clientele. And I, I agree, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to take jujitsu to that level. I mean, I'm a hobbyist and I, I mean, I'm always on this podcast preaching about developmental techniques and organizing your game plan and all of this, but I'll be honest, you know, my training has been heavily impacted due to the pandemic. And when I get back onto the mats full time, I'm still not back on full time. And when I do, my goal out of the gate is not going to be to put in place some crazy skill development up ramp. My goal is just going to be to have fun and just get back into this thing that I used to do all the time that I love so much. So I think it's important to acknowledge that some people, yeah, they, their goal might not be to get massively better. They just might want to let their instructor do all of the thinking. And are there limitations to that? 
Sure, absolutely. But for some people, they come to jujitsu for different reasons. You know, many people, myself included, did not get into the sport thinking, okay, I'm in here because I want to make this a career and I want to be a 12-time world champ. I got into this because I wanted to learn how to defend myself and get in shape. And as a hobbyist, you know, you can get to black belt and you'll still be more than capable of doing that against 99% of the human population. So I think that keeping that user clientele in mind when you're designing your curriculum does remain important for the reasons you brought up. Yeah. And it's also like, I've done some classes, obviously, where I'll just have people come in. And I'm like, all right, like whatever's on your, your syllabus or whatever you're being assigned, that's what you're working. And it's actually hard for, for a coach as well, I think, because you, you feel like you're helping less, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Even though like, like I've put in so much work behind the scenes to make the the content, I still feel like it would be kind of, at least for me, it, it feels weird if it was a regular thing to just come in and go, all right, guys, you do what you, you're doing and I'll kind of help out when needed. It's a different kind of dynamic to kind of the, the regular classroom model, I guess. But I'm really, you know, doing that kind of half-half model seems to, to be, my opinion, the one of the better ways to apply from right. what I've found. But. Now, I'd love to dig into this here because what you said is actually the exact same thing that Bruce Hoyer said when he talked about this on the podcast, which was that when he decided to do reverse classroom, the first thing he had to do was prepare and create a ton of content for people. And so I'd like to explore that particularly because I think that's probably the highest lift part of this model is just having to have the content ready. From your perspective, why do you need all of that content up front? If you're doing a traditional classroom model, you know, if you're a relatively competent black belt, you can kind of just go in and prognosticate from the podium and just pull out a technique and give people some value, even if it's suboptimal. But I'd love to know what is the reason why with the reverse classroom model, you have to have all of that stuff prepared. At least to me, it's because I want to be able to give people individual, like everyone's got a different style that they should work, in my opinion, and and different things that will fit well into their game. So I want to be able to cater to that. I don't want to go to someone like, oh, you should work this, but I don't have you know, you're you're really good with fifty fifty heel hooks. I want you to work on your K guard to you know to get you into that the, the entries into that position. But I don't have any content right. on on K guard. Sorry. Um, yeah, I guess the challenge is if you haven't made the content to study, you're going to have to direct the person to someone else's content to study. And that means that you can't be of much use unless you've also studied that person's content. So if you're not referring to students to your own content, then as the instructor to be helpful in a reverse classroom situation, you have to spend a lot of time studying everyone's individual game plans. But I suppose if you've got your own content library, you can tell people, okay, pick something out of the library, pick out of the thousands of videos I've, I've got in there, pick the thing you want to focus on. And then because you made that content, you already know exactly how to teach it. So that's probably the only way to do a reverse classroom at scale, I would presume. Uh, yeah, I th- look, I think it could be done by directing people to content. I just, it would be, you just would have to make sure it's good quality, <laughs> you know, material. Yeah. That's the hard thing. When you, once, as soon as you sort of, sort of start going, oh, you know, go on YouTube and write in, you know, K guard, then who knows what they're going to come back with. So at least I'm aware that different people see things differently. Like the way I teach butterfly guard might be different to someone else who, and then that person could be obviously really good at butterfly and have some really good details that I, that I don't have. So, I mean, I think there is definitely value in 
and not just learning from me. But in terms of like, yeah, you know, I, I want to kind of, when I'm trying to coach someone and, and I'm watching them roll and trying to do something, I, I, I kind of, I want to see what they're trying to do because that way I can actually give good feedback. I think I made like a, a post about this recently, but like sometimes you, you watch someone roll and they'll say, oh, what should I do? And even from a particular situation, like what should I have done? And it's the answer to that is very dependent on what they were trying to do. So like, where were you trying to go? What's your game? So given the same, the exact same scenario, if you took Rafael Mendes and and uh, Marcelo Garcia, for example, am I sounding old now? Is that, is that like... <laughs> <laughs> you sound fine. I mean, maybe we're all getting old. I still talk about Marcelo all the time, yeah. too. <laughs> so, let's say you had like, uh, you know, someone's got to your knee shield and they're like trying to squash your knee shield. And you asked Marcelo Garcia, what should I do here? He asked Rafael Mendes, what should I do here? Like, what would you, as in, what would you do? They would both give you, I would say, probably totally different answers. So, because they're trying to get to a different spot, Huff is going to play like, He's going to work back to some sort of open guard and look for De La Hiva, whereas Marcelo is going to be looking to put his feet on the inside and get butterfly guard probably. So the you need to know what someone's attempting to do to actually be able to give them good feedback coaching-wise. That's why I like even, even sort of little gripe I have about people coaching at tournaments, especially like, you know, if someone asked me to coach them at a tournament and I don't know their game it's kind of hard you know yelling out moves that or yelling yeah. out advice for things that i don't know what they actually do is is pretty crazy actually in fact it's probably quite likely to make them lose if you make if they really trust me and i'm telling them to go for the armbar but they're really bad at armbars that's a that's a terrible outcome so yeah, it's a challenge that I actually find because people often write in and they ask for questions or advice. And I find that it's very hard to do that on a one-off basis because like you said, I don't know what your game plan is. I don't know what your goals are. I don't know what your strengths and weaknesses are. So for me to just prognosticate and just give you an answer based on what I would do is not helpful or relevant, especially because I'm not a competitor. So if I get people sending me like elite level black belt footage on competition, I mean, there's maybe a few things I can help with, but I would admittedly not be the first person I would go to. So that's why I try to build a network of other people who can provide better feedback in those situations. And the big thing that I found, like you said, is you really need to get to know people on an individual basis if you want to do this kind of model because you need to understand what their goals are. And that's really challenging to do it at scale. I mean, most instructors have a hard time just keeping track of all of the students in their own classroom, right? If you've got, you know, five, 10, 15. That's part of it for me as well is that I've just got, you know, I've got a lot of students and it's hard to know like what everyone's working on. And I, through the, the back end of this, like I've got kind of a whole list of, of students that I've got and I can see what, I, like I can assign, it's got their, their grade. Cause I forget how many, you know, stripes people have on their belt and so on as well. So it's like, it lets me keep up to date there. I can, I can click on them, see what they've done, how much of their content they've watched. I can assign them new content to, to work on through there. And I can see, Okay, so like as they're progressing, I'm like, okay, you've done, you know, I'll just pretend it's just guard. Obviously, it's like I'm looking at their whole game, but you know, you've done half butterfly guard as your as your course. I think um, a good follow up to that now would be underhook half guard, which is going to fit in well with that. Or I can I can look and see, try to build like around their existing base of knowledge. So I'm kind of like 
it's not just kind of, I don't just go, what do you want to do? I kind of will have a bit of a discussion with them about what they're currently doing. If they're, you know, if they don't feel confident, they're like, I really like this guy, but I'm not that confident. Maybe like I'll give them some advanced content on that particular topic to, to help them further, like maybe answer some of the issues they've been having or, or I might give them something, you know, if they're feeling pretty confident, like, yeah, I've been working my butterfly guard and I'm happy with that. I can give them something I think will complement that game. So maybe work a bit adjacently to something that kind of fits in well with that style. Cause not, you know, that's a, that's an issue grappling is that not all guards just link together. Well, you know, if I tell you, yes, if you, someone, and that's, that's a, a problem with, I think people just choosing their own thing. They're like, Oh, I've been working my butterfly and my spider guard. I'm like, well, you can find ways to link them, but they're not exactly um, the most congruent pair. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a concept that I think I learned from you originally. I think you did a YouTube video about this that was circulating a while ago and just the importance of knowing that different positions and techniques have things that chain well together and things that don't chain well together. And you don't want to have an incongruent game plan where maybe you're good at four things that are completely unrelated and don't tie to each other in any way, shape or form. All of the things that you want to do should be connected in some way so that there's an easy way to flow from one to the other to the other. And I presume that is a big part of the investigation that you have to do when you're helping students put together a game plan in this capacity. Yeah. And that's why like the way I've kind of structured the the content is, is kind of was with that in mind, essentially, like, because- like, I, I suppose, like, if you look at my previous, in, you know, like my open guard instructional, I'm giving people a, yeah, this is the, which had like Kager, Delaheva, Waiter, Reverse Delaheva, and some leg entanglement options. So these things, like, that was kind of like presenting a, a system of things that fit well together in a really good way. I think you can play open guard, but I kind of wanted to have like, individual component you know if you took each of those as as an individual component there's other guards you can mix in there as well that i could like let someone kind of build what i'd say is somewhat of a unique somewhat unique game under the umbrella that it still kind of is my view of of those those positions obviously there's different ways people you know someone else might teach a a delaheva different to how i would for example but kind of allowing people to allowing different parts of the game to link together well that kind of you can end up with your your own unique set of positions that you work but still have it working it through things that actually fit together well you know so you know because there's multiple ways to do it and that's why everyone has their own style really you know like yeah leandro Lowe plays a little bit of butterfly guard sometimes but he also you know he plays delaheva but not really for berambolo he kind of like has a few things that he's obviously like his game connects well together but his is different to other people and, and just about everyone has their own sort of set, but they all, like everyone that's good connects their, connects their game really well. Yeah. Yeah. Now here's something I want to ask because you keep mentioning the system and you talk about, you have a system to track all of this stuff. And I'd love to dig into this because this is probably the single biggest problem that people have when they try to roll out stuff like this at scale, which is like you said, if you've got dozens, hundreds of students, it's incredibly hard to keep track of their individual games. But you mentioned that you've got a system that you use to assign out things to people and to keep track on an individualized basis. What is that system? Is that the submeta system that you guys are working on or is this something different? Yeah, that's that's submeta. So yeah, so it's kind of like 
I suppose there's a couple of guys at the gym. We've got a, a developer and a designer who kind of like works on how how you can present these sort of things to to look nice. You <laughs> also do jujitsu, which is which is handy. You know, I wanted to I wanted to work on something to that would work for my students like that for the for the flipped classroom model. To be honest, I didn't really like when I, when I was thinking about it i wasn't like reading i wasn't reading up on like the flipped classroom model i didn't even know that was like a, an educational kind of term but that was kind of like i was like i just think this would be a good a good approach to to doing it so i i kind of worked we worked with that and yeah so that's that's been built for the better part of it takes a long time it turns out <laughs> but the to build something like that but yeah so essentially what it's got is like i can add I can add students onto it and I can give them particular particular topics. And, and the way I do it is kind of I don't give my students everything. I actually like – because it's like the the issue of uh, complexity is a problem in jiu-jitsu that, I, that I'm sort of hoping to solve as well where I don't give them access to just like all the different courses because they, they'll kind of probably mix and match and kind of coming in one week and working one thing and the next week working something else. I actually want them to kind of like stick with a theme for a while. So – Instead, I had the idea to to assign them something, and like basically, they work on that till I'm happy that they're good at it, and then I'll assign them the next thing. And obviously, yeah. on that on the back end, I can kind of grade them, and as in, like I I can upgrade their update, like where they are on the system, like how many stripes on their belt, and so on, which is um something I d- we didn't really have before. So I'd usually have to kind of ask people how many, you know, <laughs> how many stripes, especially if someone who trains nogi. What belt are you? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I remember when I was a blue belt, I got promoted due to a clerical error. So I got my like second stripe or something, but I guess the instructor forgot to clear or update the system. So he thought I was still due for a promotion. And so I came in like the day later and I got another stripe and I thought I was so awesome because I'd beaten the system. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a good example of how hard it gets to track and and manage all of these people at scale. Now, something that I've been hypothesizing about, and I'd love to bounce this off of you. You know, we we talked about how we're old, and I remember, you know, I'm old enough to remember that when I started jujitsu, there was talk of online education, and it was just straight up laughed at. The idea that you could learn jujitsu remotely was a joke at the time. Whereas now, I think especially after the pandemic, people have started to realize there is actually tremendous utility in remote instruction. I mean, is it ever going to supplant actually going in and training directly with an experienced coach? No, of course not. But in terms of your ability to augment onto your game, you can get a lot of value out of doing things remotely. And I've always assumed that because of the structure that a reverse classroom approach would probably lend itself very well to remote learning. Is that something that you've experimented with? Do you coach students remotely this way or do they have to actually be physically in your gym in order to use the system? Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Like you could use it from anywhere. That's the the beauty of it. Actually, just like a, that just, just kind of leads me on to a slightly different topic. But I can teach something much better online than I can in a class, <laughs> in my opinion. Like on this, you know, one of the issues with learning in a class is, or like teaching a class is you've got time that you need to, to run through the, like, you know, you might have a technique or a theme or a concept you're wanting to cover, but you also got to fit in, you know, getting time to practice it and specific training and rolling as well. So 
in a classroom setting, I often have to kind of either do a quick version of it or or maybe I, it's something I want to build on. Like, you know, normally if, you, if you're running with a theme, you're like, okay, I'm going to cover the basics of it or an overview first. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to work through this. And then the next time I do that and the next one, you know, like you're kind of building up. If you've got something that's complicated, you need like multiple lessons. But the chances that all students happen to be there for the first, second, third lesson to actually build upon that theme is pretty low. And also if yeah. they miss, you know, if they don't understand something you said, they don't really get necessarily get to see that again whereas when you're actually learning online i can take the time if they didn't if they didn't understand the thing that i was saying they can go back and rewatch it and i can explain the right amount and they can go through it at their own pace which i think is so important actually yeah yeah i would agree and this is something that really blew my mind when we started doing this because i always had assumed that if you want to learn jujitsu, it has to be in person. And I do maintain, of course, that that has to be a foundational part of your training. You've got to have, you know, some sort of environment where you can go and practice against and with a good team and with access to a good coach. But there's a lot of stuff you can do digitally that you simply cannot do when you're providing traditional class instruction. I mean, the challenge that I often find when I'm teaching a class is, you know, you're showing a technique and there's 30 people sitting there staring at you and you say, Okay, does everyone understand? And they all nod their head. And you know, like, I know at least 80% of you are lying. <laughs> you know, most, most of you people don't understand. But as the instructor, I don't have the ability to stop and individualize with each of you. And similarly, if there's live rolling going on, I mean, there's only so much time in the class. And if you're the instructor, you can't devote the requisite amount of time to each individual person to really give them good feedback because there's so many things happening at once. And the other thing too is, of course, during a live roll, you don't necessarily want to stop people mid-roll every 10 seconds and correct them. So your ability to really weigh in with feedback in the moment is limited. Whereas I found that, you know, on our premium service, we do tape study for people. So they record themselves rolling and they send it in. And I have always been very surprised by the the difference in quality that I can provide as an instructor when I teach that way. Because if someone sends me even just a, a very quick, like two or three minute clip of them rolling, I can stop, I can pause, I can microanalyze, and I can give them much more detailed and targeted feedback that I could give if I were just watching people roll. I mean, you know how it is, especially if it's white belts, it's like a little tornado, right? Two people just flying back and forth and you kind of wish you could stop them and just say, okay, don't do that. But you kind of can't because you'd be stopping them every three seconds. So I found that to be a very useful approach with the uh, remote and reverse models, something I didn't expect because I had always erroneously assumed that you simply couldn't teach jujitsu that way. But I think over the last few years, especially with the emergence of remote coaching and services like yours, I think it's starting to prove that idea wrong a little bit. Yeah. When it comes down to it, I think in the end, it's a better way to learn your actual content. Like in an ideal world, to me, you would study the content online in terms of like the knowledge you're trying to get. You could, and you would review rolling footage. Like, you know, you could like, and, and things are recorded so you can like stop and, and analyze. There's definitely probably the value comes in like on the spot like in terms of like instruction in classroom probably comes on like troubleshooting and like obviously like from the actual live application of it and having that particular part, you know, like the particular partner who is giving you problems like you can troubleshoot and address. But a lot of the time I think as well, people like, like you say, people aren't aware of what happened in a scramble, you know, and it's hard to replicate that if you don't have that like filmed 
Yeah. So that you can, you know, there's a scramble. Even it doesn't even have to be a scramble. You just like one of the most important things I think is just be aware of like what's going wrong. That's the first step in improving. So that I, I try to actually encourage that as as I'm teaching, even just like I'll get people to you know, if, whether we're doing situational training or rolling or whatever. Okay, okay, you finish that. I want you to just discuss with your partner now and tell them one thing that was that you found difficult that they were doing. So like maybe you were trying to implement your butterfly guard, like explain to your opponent one thing that they were doing that made it difficult. So I'm basically, I'm basically trying to get them to identify like what was like, what was one of the major things that was giving you issues? Because if you can at least identify that, you've got the seed now to start like coming up with solutions that, to deal with that particular problem. Yeah. It's shockingly hard to identify that stuff in the moment. This is something that I have. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that I have noticed is if I'm watching people live and I am obligated to give feedback to people live while they're sparring, you know, I can give maybe surface level feedback. If someone gets arm barred and they want to know, you know, what did they do wrong? I can maybe provide some base advice on how to properly defend an arm bar. But when you have tape to study, you can do some degree of root cause analysis. And what you'll often find, what I find when I'm doing reviews for people on our premium service is I can wind the tape back. And actually the problem is not that they got arm barred. The problem was like 10 steps ago that at some point they opened up access to their elbow and that allowed their opponent to chain right through from like side control to mount to an arm bar. So when you have the ability to study and rewind and microanalyze tape, it allows you to give a much more nuanced degree of feedback into why something bad happened to a person and that's one of the advantages i found of using that that particular model myself yeah i'd agree with that for sure well let me ask you a question then here so this is a model that you've got in place let's say that let's put it into practice here so let's say that i want to sign up for submatter or i want to sign up for your program how does this work then how how would you begin so you don't know anything about me you know i'm just some guy and i want to benefit from your coaching and i want to use this reverse model what do you walk me through what are the steps kind of from day one in order to get the ball rolling yeah i mean so obviously it would be a bit different so you're a student at my gym then i'd probably I'd want to see you roll a little bit first if I could just to see like, like if there's an obvious area that I see that you're lacking in your game, then I would probably actually, what can we assume you are like a blue belt or <laughs> in, in this case? Or, yeah. I, I can tell you I'm, I'm crap at jujitsu, right? So you can assume I'm like a day one white belt, a blue belt, whatever. I will take no offense. <laughs> yeah, because like, a, you know, obviously a black belt, I, a black belt, I would kind of assume has, a pretty good understanding of what they want to work on. So I'd, I'd be very yeah. lenient to just go like, yeah, okay, you want to work that? Sure. Like I'll give you some content on that. But I also uh, appreciate that, you know, a lot of people like doing their own study outside of it as well. Um, but yeah, if it was a, let's say it's a blue belt that's come in and I'd probably want to see them roll and I'd have a look at their attributes, their height, their weight. Are they flexible? Which directions are they flexible? These are sort of things I can often tell just by watching them roll as well. And what sort of style is are they currently playing? Because then I can start getting an idea of either either potentially, like, you know, if, if I see they're trying to do half guard, you know, underhook, and I'm like, you know what, that's they're doing okay with it, but I think there's some little details in there that they're missing that I might give them a theme that, they're, that I think will help them with their game that they've currently got or and I usually personally I usually just like I want to 
make sure I cover a broad amount of their game. As in, like, you, you need a, a game based around, like, you need good escapes, you need guard, you do need some, still most people need some stand-up anyway, yeah. passing and, like, controls and submissions as well. So, like, I usually like to start with guard. I just think it's probably, like, one of the first areas that I want to make sure someone's competent with. So, you know, if you're, if you're in blue belt, I would probably start there, look at what guard I think either you need to work on or would complement your existing game. And I would, I would get you to work on that probably first. And then if I felt like that had worked well, the next thing might be passing and then, and then working on to controls and finishes. And then probably like after I feel like you've got a good like system and strategy in each of those major spots, I would probably start to then work into more advanced areas and content on that. So I guess like something I've done is with this, and this is why the scopes like, you know, I'll probably be making content for this site forever, but um, <laughs> I've kind of most of the, there's like intermediate level. So I assume I've got like the foundations, which is kind of the, the fundamentals side of it. And then there's like intermediate level courses for, for all the different topics. And then, advanced courses on top of that like little where i can kind of hone in on a particular area in detail which is important because I, I guess like with my instructionals i've made so far a lot of them i would say advanced but they'll be like you know 10 hours long which is kind of got like for someone who's just getting you know who i want to just have like a good intermediate level system around might almost like that's 10 hours is sometimes you give them so much information that they might focus on the wrong thing at the wrong time 100%. That's a challenge that I actually have with a lot of instructionals, which is just there is kind of this uh, paradox of abundance going on where there is so much material that it can be overwhelming and hard to start, you know, and hard to even know where to start, actually, in a lot of cases. It's kind of like how when, you know, you sit down for an evening and you finally got some time off and you open up Netflix and you're just bombarded with thousands of things to watch and you kind of just get paralyzed. <laughs> you don't even know what to choose. Same thing can happen with instructionals. And I've always thought there would be value in instructionals that are smaller in scope rather than a 10 hour compendium. Just give me like 30 minutes of hyper targeted material that is explicitly and specifically useful for me. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, probably the, you know, the average one on there is between one and two hours for intermediate level stuff. So it's probably like yeah. maybe slightly more than 30, but that's which I try to cover like the main concepts and there'll be like probably like three or four of the main executed like outcomes you're looking for, like techniques and so on, and a bit of troubleshooting for the major issues that that you're likely to run into for the for the position, as well as some like narrated rolling and things where I get to kind of show that happening. And then on that same topic, you know, let's say it was if we use half guard, for example. So there's like, you know, let's say it's half guard topic or course that I can assign someone which is about that length but then I I can have a two-hour advanced underhook half guard topic or three hours if I want like someone like you've now just from the underhook instead of half guard as a topic the what are your options here what are all the things you can go wrong and, and that's something that people should watch after they've done that intermediate level course and they're, they're comfortable with the major like normal most common opportunities that you get from there and I might have another advanced course on the dogfight position or an advanced course. So like there's a, there's a, there's a short, you know, I can do short ones as well. Like there's a 30 minute one on the Jedi mind trick, which is like a counter to the back step. So it kind of gives me a bit of freedom to, to give people like very specific knowledge after they've got their basics, but make sure that they're, 
their basics and fundamentals in the position they're working are, are really good first. Now, do you ever have a situation where someone comes in and they want to take the initiative on their training and what they want to do is just a really bad idea and you have to talk them out of that? Like someone comes in and they say, Lachlan, I want to be world champion and I want to spend the next month working on flying go-go platas or something like that, right? Do you ever have that where you kind of have to coach people back into the realm of reality? Sorry, sorry, I don't have a course on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess that's the benefit of creating your own content, right? Is you can basically say you have the ability to choose between any of these pre-curated, pre-validated ideas of which there are hundreds, maybe thousands, but ultimately at the end of the day, you're setting the boundaries on what is sane and rational. So even within that freedom, you're at least giving people some guardrails so they don't go off and do something totally nuts. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the problem with telling people to work whatever they want is I don't think everyone's going to make smart choices so having some <laughs> influence on on what they're picking and i think a, a collaboration's ideal right like we're where um we discuss and so what, okay what are you trying to work on oh, okay but i'd rather you work on this and you know that way we can kind of come up with something that they, they want to do but you know i don't want to tell even if it's something i think is actually uh, you know what i I'd, if they really need it, I would make them do it. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'd rather it be them going like, oh, yeah, that would actually be really good for my game. So, yeah, but, but like through conversation, I think you can find that. Um, but And there's also things like there's things there that people I don't think that that I'll make kind of forcing people to work on, especially like I think things like half guard retention. I don't think anyone's going to come up to me like, man, I really want to get good half guard retention as in like escaping out of like, you know, bad spots in half guard. But that's kind of a position I'll make everyone at some point work because every good grappler is good at like getting out of a, you know, that late stage half guard where you're worried yeah. about your guard getting past. Like everyone who's good has a decent skill set based around that. That's kind of an, almost like an essential skill, but rarely something someone will actually come into class and go, I want to learn this. So I'm kind of that, that way I can kind of force people a little bit to do the things that they might not want to do, but also give them areas of, where they can actually choose. And obviously, you know, looking at this as well, there is a lot of research showing that when people have some agency in, in what they're actually working on and learning, that they actually learn better. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, as we near the end here, anything that we missed, any final or closing thoughts or ideas that you wanted to introduce, which we didn't have time to talk about so far? Not that I can think of. I think we covered a fair bit about the flip classroom. It's yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we were pretty in-depth there. But now I got to ask, I mean, Submeta, what exactly is it? How do I get onto it? Is it available to everyone? I'd just like to explore this a little bit and give the listeners a little bit of an opportunity to learn about this program. Yeah, so so Submeta is basically the the platform that I'm, I was using for my students, but it was also built in mind of, of being a online training platform too. So essentially to, you know, I figured – if I'm going to do all that work, I might as well make something that <laughs> that everyone can use. So it's basically all those courses I was talking about, and there's still there's, there's obviously more being made because of the, I guess the scope that I want this to cover, which is essentially all of jujitsu in terms of the way I see it. Which, as I said, will take maybe I'll be able to film this forever, but <laughs> I've pretty much finished all the intermediate. So the, I've got all the um, like like your first steps, like your kind of introduction to jiu-jitsu almost, the fun fundamentals, foundations level, almost all of the intermediate courses. And I've filmed probably like, I think I've filmed about 
20 or 30 advanced courses so far. Some of them are, are up now. Some of them are some of them are waiting. They're kind of finished editing and everything, but they're just waiting to be released. And some of them are still in the editing process. And then there's heaps that are planned to be filmed. So Submeta is essentially a, a platform where people can come on and they can there will be a game plan function on there as well where we kind of like try to help people plan out and make sure that they're the particular you can almost like build a style that links well together and so on but that's not uh, that functionality is not quite available yet so for now there's two major sections there's the courses and then there's also like a video section where i put up roles and narrated rolling breakdowns techniques classes like you know the classes that i'm teaching and so on as well so yeah there's kind of the the courses is the i guess what we've been talking about today that kind of structured course content but there's also a kind of more live you get to see me rolling and doing things and and, you know teaching classes and sometimes which it can be good to see like if you want like something new i might be doing or a more brief explanation of a particular topic i guess to some extent yeah Yeah, I find that stuff to be really useful personally, because as someone who just due to my job and due to my life circumstances, I don't really have the luxury of going off and traveling for jujitsu purposes. It's nice to have that level of access because otherwise I wouldn't get that level of access and I'd kind of be landlocked to my own gym. So I think that having more instructors like you open up and give people access to what it would be like to be inside their gym. I think these services are fantastic for making the jujitsu world a bit smaller and giving people opportunities that they geographically would not be able to get otherwise. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. So is how do people sign up for this thing? Is it at a point yet where that's an option or is there a wait list that people can join? It's right now it's by invite. So they can, you can go to submeta.io slash want, W-A-N-T. I should say some S-U-B-M-E-T-A dot I-O. And you can, you can just like put your details in. The developers kind of, I guess like as we grow and scale it, we need to make sure it's, everything's, handling a larger user base so we're kind of working as a we're kind of releasing it that way i think when whenever the developer's happy that that we're ready to go all in then we'll, we'll kind of open fully to the public but for now he's just kind of sending out he's sending out invites to some of the people who who register their details so you're welcome to to look for that for now but hopefully soon it's going to be available to the public apparently you know i guess you might be familiar with these things but i'm certainly not but apparently like you know making sure that the the emails that you send out are recognized by the email servers as legit and so on is, is apparently a process that has to kind of be done by a gradual build-up if you just suddenly start emailing, you know, thousands of, of users, then sometimes the the email servers start putting you in, in junk mail, which is a problem. So things like that yeah. have to, like, build up in gradually to, <laughs> to show them that we're a legitimate site. Got it. Got it. We'll tell you what. I mean, this episode probably is going to go live in in a bit. So there is a possibility that this thing might actually be fully rolled out by the time we launch this. But in any event, what I'll do for listeners out there, I'm just going to put the relevant links in the show notes. So if you want to get on the wait list or if 
the whole thing is actually alive by the time this goes out. If you want to sign up, I'll put those links in the show notes so that people can just do a one click through just to go there and check it out. I think it's a really awesome platform. It is the first one I'm aware of, of its type. You know, many, many platforms are focused primarily on just being a library of video content. And what you're putting together is more of a complete educational workflow, which I think is fantastic. So I'm looking forward to getting in there myself and checking it out and seeing how it works in practice. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's um, look, it's it's really exciting to get to this point now. It's been so much work. So at least COVID was was productive for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, we built out our premium services during COVID times. We were looking for creative ways to leverage remote stuff to provide value to people. Um, I Actually, I should probably plug this too. For those of you out there who are interested in our stuff, BJJ Mental Models Premium has a lot of the coaching services that I talked about here on the show. So if you want me to microanalyze your work and your videos, that's the place you would do it. Premium.BJJMentalModels.com is where you go to sign up. There's a free trial, so you can check it out and get my feedback at no cost. So if you're a listener and you like the show, I always highly recommend that people at least sign up. Give it a try. You can always cancel at no charge if it's not what you wanted. So again, that's premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. Again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So that's my plug as well. (laughs) So Lachlan, thanks so much for coming by, man. I always greatly appreciate having you on. I thought this was a really cool chat about an emerging educational model that I think we're going to see a lot more of going forward in this sport. Yeah. And I, yeah, I suppose like, yeah, it's been interesting just even just putting some posts up and hearing, you know, getting messages from different people around the world who've, you know, like Bruce, who have been, have been, you know, he's been implementing it for a while. So it's, it's cool to see. I think it's already kind of becoming common, but I hope, I guess like one of the barriers to this is going to be whether coaches are willing to, you know, some coaches might have a bit more of an old school mentality and they're not going to want to, allow their students to learn from other sources which um which i think would be a very negative thing if if that was to occur so um, hopefully yeah hopefully that's not the case and i think this is already happening you know but like to for if coaches can be more willing to facilitate people who who are doing their own study to come in and practice that to get the most out of their training i think that's you know you're going to get better students which is hopefully what you what you're looking for <laughs> 100% and that's actually one of the reasons why i really like platforms like this is because Look, there's a lot of gyms that don't have these programs in place. And there's a lot of gyms where your instructor is, I mean, uh, listeners know how much I hate this, but there are a lot of gyms where your instructor is going to get mad if he finds out you're training somewhere else. But even if your instructor doesn't have that approach, look, I get listener feedback all the time from people who say they want to introduce a more deliberate approach to their training, but their existing gym, which they love, just doesn't have that structure. And that's where I think programs like this are really helpful because they can complement and add in that piece while you can still continue to benefit from the more traditional platform that your instructor might provide. So this can often fill a void in your training that you might not be getting locally just due to the way that your gym is structured. So definitely do recommend you check it out. I think that this is going to be kind of an emerging type of concept for the sport that we see going forward. So with that, all, all of that said, Lachlan, again, I can't thank you enough for coming by. I always love having you and live on here. Say hi to Walt for me. Let me know how his jujitsu is going. I'd be curious to know what his baby bridge looks like if he's got that defense going yet. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again so much. I greatly appreciate it. Will do. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Steve. That was great. You too, man. And of course, to all of the listeners, thanks to you as well. Talk to you all next week. 